Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. We're glad you're here this morning, and today we are beginning a new journey, and we're beginning a new series as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew. It's called Conflicted by Grace, and I love the idea of the series because I think about, if we think about the world, something we all know is this, is that in the world's way of thinking, just, just track with me for a moment, in the world's way of thinking, the world has this mindset. You ready? I've earned it, therefore I deserve it. Who said that? Yeah, you got it, right? I've earned it. Therefore, I deserve it. For example, if you're an employer here today and you're looking at giving someone a promotion or raise or putting them into a position or role that has some really massive amounts of responsibilities, who are you looking for? Are you looking for the person that's always showing up late? Are you looking for the person that never gets their work done? Are you looking for the person that in their eyes deserves it? There's someone who's showed up on time. They're there all the time. They get their work done on time. I mean, they are, they are totally responsible. Which guy are you going to hire? We're going to hire the latter of the two. And so the world we live in says, okay, if you've earned it, if you've worked for it, if you've been there, if you've put in the time, if you're loyal, if you've done all you can do to be the best employee you can, if you've earned it somewhere you feel like if there's a promotion to be had or raised out there, I deserve it, right? Now, I'm not going to say that that's necessarily a bad thing because I don't know that I've ever met an employer that hired the person who is least deserving, right? I don't know that I've ever seen an employer give a promotion to the person or raise to someone who never showed up on time and could not be responsible. It was always the ones who earned it, who worked for it, who were faithful and loyal. So that mindset, if you, if you track with me, isn't that mindset the mindset of the world? That I've earned it, therefore I what? Deserve it. Here's where that becomes a problem. You ready? It's when we take the mindset of the world and we put it and impose it into matters of faith. See, God doesn't work like the world works, right? The world says, I've earned it, therefore I deserve it. And we take that mindset and we impose it and to matters of faith, and it leads us kind of down a path where we start thinking things like this, that maybe if that's true with the world, then somehow maybe, maybe I can earn God's love and affection. Or maybe I can earn God's favor in my life. And ultimately, here's the path that leads us down. You ready? It leads us down this path. When we take the world's mindset and we pose it into matters of faith, it leads us down this trail where basically we get to this point. We're saying, you know what, Lord? I have been faithful. I've done what you've called me to do. I'm faithful and I'm obedient. I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm, I'm giving my business over to you. I'm giving my family over to you, God. I've done everything you've asked me to do, God. I feel like, God, you owe me. Anybody ever feel like that? Now, nobody's raising their hand this morning, right? But haven't we all felt that way? Come on, let's be honest. Haven't we all felt that way? There's been moments, even my life, your life, all of our lives, where we've been praying and we've been seeking God and we've been praying and we've been seeking God. And there's a point where we feel like, okay, God, I've been praying for like weeks now. God, I've even done some, some crazy. I've even fasted for a couple of days, God. I mean, I'm reading my Bible. I'm, I'm doing all that you've asked me to do, God. I think you owe me an answer. Now, you may say you've never done that, but you have. We've all done that. Now, why do we do that? Because somehow the world's mentality of I've earned it, therefore I deserve it, has transferred into matters of faith for us. Now, listen to me. That's where there's conflict, right? That's where there's conflict of the heart and of the soul. 
when we take the world's mentality of I've earned it and deserved it, and we take the way God operates, which is not that way at all, now there's conflict. Here's why there's conflict. Because the world says that, that the process for acceptance and approval is works-based. God says the process for acceptance and approval is grace-based. That's the conflict, right? That's why we are conflicted by grace. Because if you think about grace, and we'll get to it in a minute, the definition. If you think about grace, nobody operates this way. The world doesn't operate on grace. The world operates on works, and you earn it, and you deserve it. But that's not how God works. And for some of you, this idea of grace, maybe you've heard it a lot of different ways. But let me give you a very basic definition. I want you to write this down of what grace is. Grace is this. Grace is the undeserved, unearned favor and love of God. That's what grace is. Grace is the unmerited, the undeserved, the unearned favor and love of God. That's what grace is. Now hear me for just a moment. God's love for us is not based on what we've done or what we're doing God's love for us is based on his prerogative. He just chooses to love us. I love this statement. God loves us just because. You didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. On our best day, in our best clothes, with our best attitude, doing our best works, on our best, we still can't earn the love and the favor of God. Amen? But somehow it doesn't. Don't you sometimes see yourself fighting that mindset in your faith, though? Because that's the way the world operates. The world says, look your best, be your best, do your best, and eventually you will earn favor. You will earn those things. God says, no, that's not grace. Grace says, I love you just because I chose to love you. You've done nothing to earn it. You've done nothing to deserve it. I just love you. And you know how much I loved you? Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ what? He died for us. You know, I talk, talk to people sometimes, and they'll say stuff like this. Well, you know what, Doug? I, I, just, I, just, I just want God to love me more. God's not going to love you anymore. He loved you as much as he's going to love you when he sent his only son to die on the cross. We can't fathom the depth and the width of that love. But that's called grace. And grace is directly opposed to a works-based mentality. And see, the reason there's conflict in our hearts sometimes is because we buy into the works-based mentality instead of the grace-based mindset. And so today, I want us to take a few moments, and I want us to look at the beauty of grace. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. In fact, let's just stand together in honor of reading God's Word. I'm going to begin reading in verse 16, then we're going to come back to these verses. And behold, a man came up to him, Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you should not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, I've kept all those. What do I still lack? And Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go sell your, what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me, verse 22. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, verse 23. And Jesus turned and said to his disciples, 
Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And listen to the disciples, verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, said, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said this, With man it is impossible, but with God, what? All things are possible. Let's just pray before we move on. God, I love you. And Lord, this passage is loaded with understanding about your grace. And God, I pray for us today as we move forward. There's many of us that are trying to earn and work for your love and your favor. And God, I pray this passage would jump off the pages that you would work in our hearts only as you can this moment. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, what I want to do this morning is this. Because there's no better way to start a series on grace than with this passage. This is a beautiful passage of scripture because we see all the elements of grace in this we see a misunderstanding of grace and we see jesus come back and talk to us about the beauty of grace and so what i want to do is i just want to walk through the passage and i want you to notice some things with me look with me back in verse 16 it says this and behold a man came up to him and said saying teacher what good deed must i do to inherit eternal life now this guy comes up to jesus and there's two things i want you to notice one is he comes with a question but he also has an assumption with the question, right? Now, here's the question. He basically just asked this, how do I acquire eternal life? How do I gain eternal life? Jesus, how do I need to live my life in a way that I can be accepted and approved by God so that when I die, I can spend forever and eternity? Now, I know many of you, first thing you want to do is you want to ring this guy out and go, that's just the wrong question. But I want you to notice something about the question. Let's go back and look at it again. There's some things about this guy that we noticed that I don't want us to write him off with. He says, the man came to you and said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Meaning, first of all, we learn from this guy, he believes in eternity. Right? This guy comes up to Jesus. He's like, hey, what do I have to do to acquire eternal life? Well, that's a problem of itself. We'll come to that in a minute. But check out the guy's heart. This guy's like, I want eternal life. I know there's something that exists beyond this world. I know that when you die, there's got to be more to this. I want eternal life. And Jesus, I need to know how to attain that. And the second thing we notice about this guy is this. We notice his heart, right? He has a heart not only to experience eternal life. He wants to be saved. He truly wants to know and experience what it takes to get to heaven. Now, here's why I'm making a big deal out of that. I think we are surrounded with people just like this. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have conversations with people that are non-believers, and there's a real temptation when they begin to ask questions or say things to write them off as going, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. And we write them off. Well, forget about writing them off. Maybe you need to get to the core of the heart of what they're saying. I mean, we could spend all day, and we'll spend a little section here, talking about the assumption he made, which is absolutely wrong. But don't miss his heart. His heart was, I don't know how to get there. I'm assuming you can tell me what I need to do to acquire it. But at the end of the day, Jesus, here's what I want you to know. I want eternal life. I have a heart that truly wants to be saved. See, now when you read the story, you're going to read it totally different, aren't you? Because this guy didn't come with arrogance, did he? Like the Pharisees came. This guy didn't come with pomp and circumstance. This guy came with a heart truly seeking truth from Jesus. Now, here's why I want you to know that. Some of you, that's why you're here today. You wrestled with this conflict between workspace and grace, and it just seems not to merge because, honestly, can we just be honest? Grace makes no sense, does it, in the world we live in? 
because we do it all the time as parents, right? And don't raise your hand because it's not a big deal. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to have a parenting class and talk about you, but let's just think about it. We do this with our kids all the time. I'm, I'm, growing up, I had friends of mine that went to school that for every A that they got, their parent paid them a certain amount of money. And so there was this, now listen, there's a sense of a works-based reward there, isn't there? Now, my dad was different. My dad just said, you better not get below a C or I'm going to take my belt off. And so that was just a little bit different. So this guy had this works-based, if I do this, I receive this. Listen, it's in every phase of our life. And if you and I could sit at a table and have a real conversation, we would have to agree on this. When we think about grace, it doesn't make a lot of sense outside of the fact that Jesus is going to expand it for us today. Because that's not how our world operates. We talk about showing people grace. We want, we want them to earn forgiveness, don't we? Have you ever done it with your spouse? Something happens. And they apologize, and you bring it back up later, and they apologize. And somewhere in the conversation is, if they say it enough, and if they really mean it on the last time, they will have earned my forgiveness. Right? Don't elbow your spouse right now, but you know I'm right, right? It happens. So Jesus is doing this thing with grace, and this guy comes to him, and he has a question. A question that expresses the intent of his heart. I want to be saved. I want eternal life. But here's the problem. He came with the wrong assumption, right? His assumption was this. What must I do? What, let's leave this up here. What good deed must I do? In other words, what, the word good deed is actually in the Greek, it's, it's a phrase, and it's agathos, and it means moral or upright actions, what it means. So he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what kind of moral or upright action do I need to perform that I can enter into heaven? He made an assumption that salvation, that eternal life is something that can be earned. What must I do in order to receive? Now, our first thing, we look at this guy's going, this guy's off his rocker. But that's the world he lives in, isn't it? I must perform so I can be rewarded, just like my friend in school. He performed so he could be rewarded. Instead of dogging this guy, throwing him under the bus, let's just understand where he's at. He has a question. He makes an assumption, even though it's wrong, but expresses the intent of his heart. And then Jesus responds to his question, and Jesus responds to his assumption. Look with me in verse 17. He says this. And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Now, what Jesus said here is so powerful, but can be so misconstrued. So I want to unpack it for a minute. First of all, he says, why do you come talking to me about what is good? Why do you come asking me this idea about what is good? Now, have you ever heard the expression, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him what? Drink. Jesus is leading the horse to water right now, Okay. He's like, hey, why are you asking me about what's good? Now, this guy didn't come up to Jesus and go, hey, could you help me out with my taxes? He didn't ask him that. He didn't come up to Jesus and ask him a basic math question. This guy came up to Jesus asking a deep theological question. What good deed, can we put that back there? What good deed, verse 16, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And then Jesus in verse 17, let's put that up there. He says this. He says, and why do you ask me about what is good? Now, this is a huge statement here because Jesus, first of all, looks at him and goes, why are you coming to me? 
Why, th- this is not just an average question. This is a deep theological question. Now, why would Jesus challenge him coming to him? Because Jesus wanted this guy. Jesus wanted him, whether it was verbally or in his heart, to acknowledge that there was something different about Jesus. That maybe he'd seen him do miracles, maybe he'd heard him teach, maybe there's a word on the street. But this guy came to Jesus. Jesus didn't just go after him. This guy came to Jesus with a question, and not any question, a deep theological question. And Jesus is like, why are you asking me? Oh, basically he said, I know what you're asking me. Because somewhere along the line, I want you to acknowledge that I'm not just any man. I, somewhere along the line, I want you to acknowledge that I'm God. I, somewhere along the line, I want you to acknowledge that I have answers that nobody else has. And then Jesus goes on and says this. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only what? One who is good. Now, please don't miss this. Jesus flips the narrative here. See, this guy comes to him going, what good deed, what moral and upright action can I perform that is good, that gets me acceptance with God? And Jesus says this, there is no good deed, there's just a good person. He flipped it from good being an action to now good is a person. Are you with me on that? Good is no longer about an action, it's about a person, meaning that eternal life is not about you performing a moral and an upright action. It's not about you doing something moral or that's upright. It's about you knowing the person who is moral and upright. That's what leads to eternal life. Are you with me on that one this morning? If you are, say amen. amen. I'm telling you, this is, Jesus changes the narrative here. It's no longer about an action. It's about knowing a person. It's not about what you can do. It's about who you no. And Jesus flips it here. And then Jesus proves to him that truly there is only one who's moral and only one who's upright and only one who's perfect. And Jesus says this, therefore he says, keep the commandments. Now it seems odd that Jesus would tell this guy to keep the commandments when he just told them that good is not an action, it's a person. Now, why would Jesus look at this guy and go, okay, so keep the commandments? Well, here's what he's saying. Okay, if you, if you want to earn your salvation, here it is. You ready? If you want to earn your way to heaven, if you want to earn eternal life, here's what you got to do. Keep the commandments, meaning be perfect. Be perfect. See, the only way you can keep the commandments, keep them, and in the Greek language, it's the, the definitive. It's like always keep them, never break them, every commandment. Do you know by the time that Jesus came around, there were 613 commandments? In the Old Testament, 10 we know of because Moses on the mountain, we got that, right? We'll come to those in a minute, but 613 commandments. He says, okay, you want eternal life and you want to earn it? Great. Be perfect. Now, why would Jesus tell him to be perfect? Because he knows what we all know. There's only one that is good, right? There's only one that is moral. There's only one that is upright. There's only one that is perfect. And guess what, rich young ruler? It's not you. And guess what, Cross Ive East? It's not us. He said, be perfect. Because he was telling him, basically what you're asking me is impossible to do. Then Jesus goes on. Look at me in verse 18 through 20. He does this. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, does anybody know which of the Ten Commandments those are? Is that the first five or the last five? You got a 50-50 shot, and it's not the first one. 
It's to say, yeah, it's the last ones. Yeah, you're like, whew, I'm glad I didn't answer that question. Right, it's the last five. Now, those, listen, the Ten Commandments encapsulate so many different things. But Jesus starts with the last five of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. Jesus starts with the tail. Now, scholars are kind of mixed on this. Many scholars would say it's because if you were to look at the Ten Commandments, the last five were probably easier in the mindset to keep than the first five. But the point is this. Jesus picked out the five commandments that dealt with man's responsibility and man's duty toward other men. And Jesus starts with the end. He starts with the last five. Now, it's interesting that he would do that, but the bottom line is this. Whether it was easy or not, doesn't really matter. I think what gives us insight into what Jesus is doing here is the last one. Did you notice he added one? Did you notice that when we got to the end? He added one. Did you get it? And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus added that one. That's not in Exodus. That's not like the Ten Commandments, right? Jesus added this love your neighbor This whole idea to yourself. Now, we understand that because in the New Testament, we see numerous times people come up to Jesus. In fact, the religious leaders came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? Remember what Jesus said? The first one is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? The point is this. This last statement, love your neighbor as yourself, encapsulates the other Five commandments. It encapsulates the spirit of the final five commandments that were given on the Mount Sinai. Whereas love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength encapsulates the spirit of the first five commandments. Now here's what Jesus is trying to communicate to this rich young ruler. It's this. It's not about keeping the letter of the law. It's about keeping the spirit of the law. Here's what I mean. You're with me? If you're with me, so I'm still with you, Doug. Man, I'm telling you, this is good stuff. You got to What Jesus does here is fascinating. Here's what I mean. This, the letter of the law is this. Don't commit adultery. Which means a married person going out and being intimate with someone that's not their spouse. But didn't Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount that if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery? That's the spirit of the law, right? Right? That's the spirit of law. It's not just about going out and committing the physical act. It's not about just keeping the letter of the law. It's also about keeping the spirit of the law. Didn't Jesus talk about murder? You know, I don't think anybody in the room, hopefully, has taken a gun and blown someone's head off today. I hope that's nobody's story. But at the end of the day, have any of you let rage that was deep within your heart and that anger that led to rage lead you to respond to someone and treat someone the way you shouldn't treat them? Did you murder them in your heart? Yeah. So the point that Jesus is making is not just about keeping the letter of the law, it's about keeping the spirit of the law too. Love your neighbor as yourself. So be perfect. Listen, you want to earn your salvation? Great. Be perfect. And not just to the letter of the law, but to the spirit of the law as well. Now, if you and I were standing there before Jesus, do you think that we would look at him and go, oh, you're right, I've blown it. You think we would do that? I hope I would. But look how this guy responds to Jesus. This is interesting. The man says to Jesus this in verse, uh, verse 20. The young man said, all these I have what? <laughs> all these I've kept. What do I still like? I mean, I find this a fascinating expression. I find this a great answer. It's kind of like, okay, Jesus, I've kept all the letter of laws of those. I've kept them all. But I know that I'm still not perfect, so what do I lack? So he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth, isn't he? It's like, I want to do something to earn salvation. Jesus says it's impossible because if you want to earn your salvation, you have to be perfect. And guess what? 
Nobody's perfect. Only one who is good. Only one who is moral. Only one who is upright. And then this guy says, I kept all those commandments. I've kept them all. But what do I still lack? You see the the craziness in that? Hey, I've kept the letter of the law, but no, I'm still falling short. And then I want you to notice here what Jesus' point is basically this. Jesus moves on and he goes this way. Because here's the point Jesus is trying to make. Jesus is trying to make this basic point. There is no way you can keep the law perfect. Therefore, there's no way that you can earn your salvation. There's no way you can earn eternal life. You can't keep the law, which means you can't earn your path to heaven. And then Jesus goes on to verse 21 and he says this. Then Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, meaning if you truly want eternal life, go. Sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. Now, Jesus says, listen, if you really want eternal life, if you really want what you claim to want, going back a few questions ago, if you really want eternal life, and you really have a desire to know how you get there, here's what I want you to do. I want you to prove that you really want it. You ready? Sell everything you have. Go give it to the poor. Come follow me. In other words, I want you to forsake the thing that's on the throne of your life. I want you to forsake the thing that has replaced God in your life. And I want you to turn to me, and I want you to come follow me. Now, for this guy, guess what the the thing on his throne was? The thing that was his God, guess what it was? Money, treasures, possessions. Because many people would read this and go, if you have any money at all, go sell it all and give to the poor. Well, that's a great gesture, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, whatever is number one on the throne of your life, it's got to be removed. If that's money, if that's your kids, I'm not saying go sell your kids, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the throne of my life has room for one, and it has to be Jesus. Because if there's anything else on that throne, It is fracturing my relationship with Christ. It can't be my wife. It can't be my job. It can't be my kids. It can't be anything. It can't be finances. It has to be Jesus and Jesus alone. He said, okay, if you want eternal life, if you really want this, man, here's what you got to do. Forsake the thing that is your God, that's your idol. Come follow me. And you will have eternal life. Now, I want you to think about this story in context. You ready? This guy comes to Jesus asking how he can acquire eternal life. And Jesus says, listen, there's no way it's going to happen. You can't earn salvation. And if you think you can earn it, you've got to keep the law perfectly. Not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And you can't do it. But if you really want eternal life, if you really want to spend eternity in heaven with God the Father, the one who is perfect, the one who is moral, and the one who is upright, here's all you have to do. Take that thing that's on the throne of your life. Forsake it. Turn from it. Come follow me. That's what you have to do. Now, this, can you all look at me just for a moment? This is a moment in the New Testament. This is a moment I'm sure the disciples are going, wow. And probably also going, I'm just not sure what he said either. Right? Look what happens next. Because this guy's got to make a decision. And this may be one of the most painful decisions we see in the New Testament. Verse 22. And when the young man heard this, he went away, how? Sorrowful. For he had 
great possessions. Let me say something about this guy. This guy was rich with worldly goods, but he was bankrupt when it came to faith. Right? This guy was rich with worldly stuff, but he was bankrupt when it came to that which mattered the most. And he walked away sorrowful. Why? Because he couldn't let money, and he wouldn't take money off the throne of his life. See, when I read this passage, here's some things that kind of comes to my mind. Number one is this, that many people try to want to earn their way to salvation. Well, if, you want, if you're here today and you say, I, I think I can earn it. Okay, great. Keep the law. Perfectly. Not just the letter of the law. I'm not saying just don't go murder anybody, but don't murder them in your heart. Keep the spirit of the law as well. And what you're going to find out is this. Nobody, everybody say nobody. Nobody can be perfect. But there is one. Jesus, right? There is one, but it's not us. And if we still desire eternal life, the path is this, to repent and forsake that which is number one in the throne of our life and turn to Jesus and live a life following him. That's how we get there. And I think just like this guy on this day, every one of us in the room, if we haven't already done it, have to make this decision. Will we trust and forsake and turn to Jesus and follow him and experience eternal life? Or we decide that we want to be the Lord of our own heart and our own life. Now, I want you to skip with me to the very end here, verse 23, because the way Jesus wraps this section up is just a good reminder for us. He says this, and the Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person in the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they said they were greatly astonished and saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus said this, look at them. And he said, with man it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. See, Jesus offers a harsh reality and also a harsh reminder. Here's the reality that if we have something on the throne of our life that is near and dear to our heart, and let's just be honest, Jesus didn't talk about a Corvette here. Jesus didn't talk about a spouse. He didn't talk about kids because all those could be on the throne of our life, but he talked about money. You know why? Jesus talked about money in hell more than anything else. You know why? Because he knows that there's something about it that attracts us. In fact, it, it lays the foundation for all kinds of evils in our life. And we think if we just have more, right? And Jesus knows something about this guy and all of us, that for many of us, we have possessions and we have stuff, and some of us just aren't willing to part with that. And listen to me, I mean this with a lot of love in my heart. If it is on the throne of our life, it's got to go. We've got to replace it with the only one who deserves the driver's seat of our life. And that's Jesus, right? And so the reality was this, is that if you have something on the throne of your life that is near and dear to you, because like finances, isn't money personal? It is. Many of us have trouble parting with it. Many of us, when we write that check, I mean, it's hard to let go of that thing. Because listen, when we have something on the throne of our life that is so near and into us, it's hard to let it go. And that's a harsh reality. But here's the reminder, he says. If you want to acquire eternal life, listen. If you want to acquire eternal life, here's something you know. With man, it's impossible. You can't earn your way into heaven. But with God, what? All things are possible. Meaning, salvation is an act of grace. Do you believe that this morning? 
Salvation is an act of grace. Here's the beauty of grace, and I want you to write this down. Here's the beauty of grace. It cannot be earned, but it sure can be received. Did you hear that? The beauty of grace is this, is that it cannot be earned, but it surely can be received. And maybe you're here today, and you're like me, you're a follower of Jesus. And if you look at your life and you look back and you think about the grace of God, you can remember that moment in your life where you go, you know what, I have received the grace of God. I, I truly knew that, that I was a sinner and I rebelled against God and knew that God loved me, even though I don't deserve it. Even though I haven't earned it. Even though I rebel against him and I'm faithless at times. I've received that grace of God and I put my faith in Jesus and my life has never been the same. And see, listen, if that's your story today, if you're a follower of Jesus, my prayer is that God would remind you of the grace that you received. And in just a moment when we sing, that you would celebrate that grace through your worship. Do you know what worship is? Listen to me, church. you know what worship is? It's ascribing worth. That's what worship is. So if you worship money over everything else, you're ascribing it's the most valuable thing in your life. If you worship Jesus, you're ascribing that he's the most important thing in your life. And in a moment, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm asking you to respond through worship, ascribing worth to the one who loved you. Listen, just because, just because he chose to. And maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you look at your life and what you see is story after story after story of how you've been faithless and how you've abused and taken advantage of the grace that you've received. And today your response needs to be to come to this rug and we're going to call this an altar and just repent before a holy God and say, Lord, I've taken your grace for granted, but no more. No more. I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to celebrate it. And I'm going to be grateful for it every day of my life. And maybe you need to come to the altar. And then maybe there's some of you here today that don't know Christ and you're trying to earn your way into his kingdom. Well, I've got news for you. You're never going to succeed. You're never going to get there. And my prayer is that you would drop that mindset and today for the first time, you would give your heart and your life to Jesus. That you would forsake what's on the throne of your life and turn and give your life to Jesus and follow him. I'm going to ask you this. Every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. With every head bowed, and every eye closed. I'm going to pray for us in a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you know that you're a follower of Christ, and you truly, as I talk about the grace of God, and talk about how you can't earn it, but he loves you just because, if that's something that moves your spirit as a believer, which it should, would you just celebrate that in a moment? As we sing and say, Lord, here's our heart and we open our hearts to you, would you just celebrate that? Would you ascribe worth to a king who's worthy today? Or maybe you're here today and you're that follower. Says Doug, you just described exactly me. I'm living a life of rebellion and disobedience. I've taken the grace of God for granted. But today, no more. Today, I want to celebrate it. I want to embrace it. I want to thank God for it. And I'm going to spend the rest of my days living in it. And maybe you need to come to this altar and do business with God. Or maybe you're here today and you need to trust him. You're trying to do it your way. You're trying to earn your way. And what you found out is it's not working. Today, would you just surrender your heart to him? Would you just say this in your own heart, in your own way? Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And Lord, I know there's other things on the throne of my life. But today, I repent of those. I forsake those. And I turn my life to Jesus. I surrender 
to him. And if you will pray that prayer and ask him to come into your life and forgive your sins, the Bible says when you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And if you need to do that, I'm going to be right up front. I'm going to ask uh, some of our deacons and wives to be up front on the sides in case they, anybody needs to be prayed for or somebody just wants to ask questions. Or if you accepted Christ, you can take that connection card that Elijah talked about and mark on there today that you gave your life to Christ. But however you need to respond, would you be faithful to do that today, believer or not? Everybody stand with me as I pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's pray and go to the Lord. Father, I love you. I thank you for this passage. Again, I've, I've had the joy of reading it over and over and over and over again for several weeks now. But Lord, I'm just blown away that this guy comes to Jesus with a pure heart, but a wrong mindset. And Jesus just flips the script. He reminds this guy and he reminds us today that good is not about an action. Good is about a person. That there's one who's holy. There's one who's pure. There's one who's moral. There's one who's perfect. And it's not us. It's you. And God, I pray for believers today that we would celebrate that. We'd celebrate that we have been saved by grace through faith. We didn't deserve it. But you gave it freely. And I pray we would celebrate that today. I pray for those, Lord, that, that, that know you, that have taken it for granted, that they would find themselves on their face before a holy God and repenting of how they've rebelled against you and saying, Lord, no more will I take your grace for granted. Now I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to live in it, Lord. And I'm going to celebrate it and treasure it every day. And again, I pray for those who need to trust you today. May they drop the world's mindset that you must earn it so you can deserve it and say, I have earned nothing, I deserve nothing, but I want to receive his grace today. God, would you move in this place? Would you move in a powerful way? Of course, in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Now listen to me today. I'm going to ask Ron and Jerry if they would just slide over here and Terry and Don, if you guys could just be right over here. For anybody that needs to be prayed for, maybe you need to make a decision. However the Lord's leading you today, would you be faithful to respond to that? As the Lord leads you, you respond.